We're looking at Acts. So if you've got your Bible with you, or your little gadget, um, we'll be looking at Acts 1 and 2, and a little bit at Peter as well. And there'll be a slide just to introduce what we're looking at in a moment. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, So this little verse here is what really stood out to me in preparing for this. And it kind of sums up to me what we're going to look at today, and also Acts as a whole. So this is a verse that Peter quotes from Joel. And Joel was some prophecy that was written about 600 years before Jesus came. So if you were here for for, for SJ's last sermon, she talked about that gap, that 400-year gap before Jesus when everything was quiet. So what's really lovely here, this gets quoted in Acts 2, is that that gap was all part of God's plan. And this waiting is over. So this verse, which was Joel, says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Acts is all about people calling on the name of the Lord and being saved. So this morning we're going to look at the Holy Spirit, so which is one of the three parts of God. So the Holy Spirit is part of what we call the Trinity. And we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit reveals things to us, this idea of waiting, and the power to go. So on the next slide, let's see if this works for me. There we go. Okay. Thank you. So, there are a few things about the Holy Spirit. Now, this really struck me in one book. There is no such thing as the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing. And the reason the writer wrote that is, it's because the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is real and has been present all through time. The reason we know that is in Genesis 1 verse 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord hovered over the water. So even before God started creating things, his spirit was hovering. And the word there is a bit like fluttering. So it was there, it was peaceful, it was calm before time. So everything you know about God is because of his Holy Spirit's revelation. Other things we hear is the Holy Spirit inspired all the people that wrote the Bible. So if you've ever opened your Bible and read those words, that's the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit told Joel what to write 600 years before Jesus. The Holy Spirit told Luke what to write. He also had lots of eyewitnesses and lots of people he met and spoke to. But the Holy Spirit inspired that. The worship this morning, when we pray, it's not normal for you to sing songs about alabaster jars and being broken and letting go. But that's the Holy Spirit inside of you responding to the word that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Even if you're here in church for the first time, I don't think if you are, but if you were, the Holy Spirit would have been at work in you. The Holy Spirit inspiring someone to invite you to come to church, giving you the confidence to come in. The very first time you respond to God and say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive give me is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what prompts us to turn to God. The Holy Spirit is what creates a new person inside of us. Um, We've got a fantastic worship leader who climbed through a window for me this morning. So we had a slight issue getting to the buildings, the door broke. But when you get inspired to do things like that, the fruit of the Spirit comes out. Whenever you're gentle or peaceful or patient, unusually when you're in those difficult situations, it's the Holy Spirit at work. Um, The Holy Spirit has been with us um, all the way through time and is very present for us as Christians. So, Peter. Peter is one of the characters we're going to learn a little bit about this morning. So it came up in the quiz. So Peter writes later on this. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we, were made, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Acts is written by Luke on the testimony of eyewitnesses. Peter, when he writes, he writes in his letters at the end of the New Testament based on what he saw happen in Acts. So the 
the idea here is, is that Luke and Peter were real people who saw what was happening. For when we received honour and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, and this refers to, if you ever heard the story of Jesus being baptised, so it happens quite early on in his ministry, Jesus is baptised by John, the Holy Spirit comes, and the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, prophetic words like those in the Old Testament, to which you would do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that word carried along there in the Greek means a gust of wind. So in Genesis 1 verse 2, it's like a fluttering, a hovering spirit. At this point in God's plan for history, the spirit is starting to blow. And if you picture a sailboat, it's when the wind blows and it carries things along. So Peter's description of what he saw of the Holy Spirit was it being a wind that blows. So we're learning about the Holy Spirit. So we're learning about it through Luke's eyes, through Peter's eyes. And one big idea is we're using scripture to interpret scripture. It's sometimes quite hard when you read a passage to know what's happening. But what's great about this moment in time is I can see Joel telling me what's going to happen in Acts. I can see Peter at the end of the Bible saying this is what happened in Acts. I've got Luke's interpretation of what happened. This is so rich in being really sure about this being the truth inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by eyewitnesses. So this part of the Bible is a fantastic history. Um, As uh, Ben told us, it's 30 to 35 years of church history. But it comes at a moment where the Holy Spirit is moving. The word acts just means poor. It's praxis. You might have heard the word praxis in relation to theory. Praxis means just the way you act the way you carry something out. The book of Acts is all about how the mission to reach people is carried out through the Holy Spirit. So what does this part tell us? It tells us that Jesus' work continues because of God's Holy Spirit. So when Luke writes, Luke talks about this. So this is um, the very first part of Luke 1, verse 1, is Luke's introduction. Then in Acts 1, verses 1 to 2, he introduces it again. The reason is Luke probably wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts all together. It's like part A and part B. So it's like when they split a book into part 1 and part 2. Luke is part 1 of Jesus. Jesus' birth, Jesus' ministry, Jesus' death, and then Acts start with Jesus being taken up to heaven. So it's the same author writing about this. And he calls it an orderly account that you may have certainty. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So this is about Jesus' work continuing in Acts. Luke describes it as Jesus beginning to do and teach. It's not over. What Jesus started continues in Acts. So what's really nice about this, you can see this as a continuation. Even though Jesus' body isn't present in Acts, you can see his work, what he began to do and teach, continuing. It's the same author, it's Luke, talking to eyewitnesses in a continuation of that. And you'll see here, even Jesus' commands were given through the Holy Spirit. 
You can't separate God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They've all got the same purpose. They might sometimes work in different ways, in different times, in different places. Jesus' physical body was in one location. The Holy Spirit can be everywhere. The Holy Spirit can blow like a wind. It can just be gentle. It can be like an earthquake. It can be like a storm. The Holy Spirit comes all the way through. So Luke recognised that. Pete recognised that. So Luke, the author, he was a friend of Paul, not of Jesus. So Luke probably never met Jesus. The reason for that is, um, is that he was born in Antioch. So Luke was from Antioch. His task is where Paul was from. And you'll see Jerusalem. You'll see the Mediterranean. You'll see Rome. Another reason people often love Acts is because you can go to these places. You can see them. This is history that is set in a real place. It's incredibly sad. But just here is Aleppo. So if you've ever seen Aleppo in Syria, so we have Israel now, we have Lebanon, we have Syria comes across, and then you've just got Turkey here. But Aleppo is where Antioch is. So this is where Luke was born. He wasn't a Jew. So that meant that he didn't have all of those stories and all of those history that the Jewish writers had. He was someone outside of God's plan for Israel. The word for that is a Gentile. And he was called a beloved physician. That's how Paul called him, my beloved physician. So he was a doctor. So he had some education, some training. He was probably used to giving medicines and seeing the response. He was someone that would be really grounded in reality. You probably don't want a good doctor who just tells you a story or speaks to you in poetry. He's someone that would know the power of the words and the instructions he gave. So Luke is the person that wrote Acts to us. Why did he write it? The reason he wrote it is to let us know the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. That good news doesn't have any boundaries. If you were here today from a different country, speaking a different language, the gospel would be for you. Men and women, slaves and free, the gospel is for everyone, Jews and Gentiles. It's given them certainty of what they've heard. So there's probably lots of different stories coming about Jesus. Lots of those would have been true. Some of those might have been other stories that people were adding on to. So the reason he collected these things together 30 to 70 years after Jesus had died was so there could be certainty. And he uses that word certainty. This is somebody writing a historical account very soon after Jesus and what happened in Acts. So not to fear Rome. He didn't want people to be scared. So often when Luke talks about what Jesus did, he talks about the misunderstanding, the darkness. That the people that killed Jesus, so in the Roman part in that, was because of ignorance. So he didn't want people to be scared of Rome. He wanted them to be so in love with Jesus and spreading the gospel, they'd have no fear. Luke and Acts also talks a lot about the end times. It's about helping Christians understand the point they are in history. So there's the person. So Luke, a friend of Paul, but not of Jesus um, in a physical sense. A Gentile, a doctor. The gospel and the Holy Spirit is for everyone. And the idea is that Acts gives us certainty about what we've heard. Not to fear Rome. Not to fear the biggest political and military powers. We don't have a reason as Christians to be afraid. And then about the end times. So... Acts, and particularly Pentecost that we're going to read about in a moment, is the start of the end times. The cross. The cross and Jesus dying is that pivotal moment in history that makes sense of everything that happened before and everything that comes afterwards. So Acts is that first 30 to 35 years of the start 
of the end. And we're living in those end times. There won't be another pivotal moment like Jesus dying on the cross. There will be his return. There will be other things that happen. We read about in Revelation, lots of signs, lots of things that may make us worried and scared, but that is the end. We're in that period between the cross and Jesus' return. And Acts helps us make sense of that. So this is um, the other part of the introduction to Acts. So Jesus presented himself to them. This is to the disciples after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So I won't disagree with Ben, but Jesus spent 40 days talking. Maybe that wasn't a sermon. That was just chatting over food. So Jesus had 40 days with the disciples, training them, teaching them, answering their questions. And while Jesus was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Which, Jesus said, you heard from me, for John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So Acts 1 is waiting. They've had to wait 400 years. They've had to wait 40 days since Jesus rose again. They then get another 10 days before Pentecost happens. And often it's like that. The Holy Spirit as a person chooses when they act and how they act. You will read all about the Holy Spirit through Acts and watch out for those moments. But each time the Holy Spirit acts, it seems to act in a different way. For reasons that aren't always clear. But often we have to wait for God to act. You had to wait before you became a Christian. None of us were Christians from the day we were born. We all had a moment when we made a choice to start to follow God. There was that waiting. There's waiting in the Bible. The disciples are waiting. And imagine what that's like, not only to have seen Jesus died and then the joy of him rising again, but when Jesus then is taken up to heaven, how must they feel? So they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus, you've died, you've risen again, now's the moment. This can be the start of a new perfect kingdom. He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So the time isn't yet. Right from the start of the church in Acts, they wanted it to be the new kingdom. They wanted it to be heaven. They wanted things to be perfected. They wanted to be in a life free from pain. But we've been waiting 2,000 years for that because God has fixed those dates and times by his own authority. But what do we get instead? In that waiting time, this is what we get. We receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judah, Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the reason the Holy Spirit comes is for that go part. So we've entitled this series, Go, the Go in Acts. The Holy Spirit is the power for us to go. So right at the start of Acts, the Holy Spirit is introduced, promised by Jesus to give us the power to witness. So my favourite picture from one of our Bibles at home, this is Jesus' ascension from Jesus' perspective. So if you believe it, that's what Jesus would have seen as he was raised up into heaven. So when Jesus had said these things, as the disciples were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So we're still right at the start of Acts, and they've been told not to stand. Not to stand, but to go. 
they want to stand there and just look, oh, he's gone. How do they make sense of that? We don't know what Jesus told them in preparation. In that 40 days, maybe Jesus had answered their questions and reassured them. But you see him die, you see him rise, you then see him go again, and then there's 10 days to wait. So why do you stand looking into heaven? And the encouragement here is, is that Jesus will come back. He will come back in a similar way. And so he'll probably come back from the sky. He'll be visible. We'll know that. But we're not just to stand looking into heaven. So what should we do? What happens next? This is me just recounting to you what happens in Acts 2. So you can follow this in your version, Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. Um, when the day of Pentecost arrived they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind that idea of the holy spirit being like a wind either fluttering and hovering or a gust of wind that blows a ship forward and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of one of them And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So to help us understand what Pentecost is, um, Pentecost was a Jewish festival. Um, You can find these online. There's quite a nice little calendar where you can see our months here. So where are we? January. And we're in the winter months. And then around here you've got the Jewish names for months. There's been the Festival of Lights, so Hanukkah. If you've got children at primary schools, Hanukkah is a really popular Jewish Festival of Light to celebrate. Really interesting because that only really gets mentioned in the Gospels. Because that festival of light was celebrating the Maccabees, who in that quiet 400 years, they actually restored, they restored the temple. So the Assyrians were the powerful people, they were rejected from the temple, and they started the temple afresh. So in that quiet 400 years is when Hanukkah, the festival of light, starts. Things that we're more familiar with, Purim, where they were purified things, almond blossom would be on the trees in Israel. We then get to Passover. The Passover meal just before Jesus died, where he broke bread with his disciples. Then the day after that is a feast of unleavened bread. And all this comes back to the original Passover. So when the Israelites were led out of Egypt, you have Passover, unleavened bread. And you'll see in Israel, this is the start of the barley harvest. So... um, Seven weeks, one day, so 50 days later, you have this feast of weeks. So this is that 50 days. So those 50 days from Jesus dying just after Passover all the way to Pentecost. So it was a time of harvest. And what did that mean? That meant lots of people came to Jerusalem. Lots of people came to celebrate these um, festivals. It would be really busy in Jerusalem at Pentecost. So if you want to try to rationalise God's timing, maybe he was waiting for this moment when the right people were there in Jerusalem to be impacted by his Holy Spirit. Maybe it's that picture of harvest. Harvest never comes quickly enough. If you've worked in farming, so if you've ever had to, I don't know if you remember when strawberries were seasonal in supermarkets, I think I kind of do remember that, where there'd be a moment where you'd get either the first asparagus or the strawberries coming. So you have to wait for a harvest. We're in harvest time now, is what God says to us, that he's done all this work, he's planted the seed, he's given the Holy Spirit in a new way. We are in a time of harvest. So the reason it's Pentecost, the reason it's harvest, I think, is to tell us that you have to wait. 
Sometimes we need to wait for God's timing and we're in a time of harvest. The reason the Holy Spirit was given was to give Christians the confidence and the words and the signs to accompany that good news to the end of the world. So you'll also see that all the way through the year, God has the right time for things. So all these different things happen. A feast of trumpets, day of atonement, feast of tabernacles, back to Hanukkah. God gives us seasons for things. It's often a very Christian thing to say, isn't it? Oh, it's not the season for that. But God is a God of timing. He's a God who under his own authority will choose when to act. And often when we talk about the Holy Spirit or some of the songs we see, it's like, come now, come now, Holy Spirit. But it's not always like that. God has got timings. God has got plans. God sees the whole span of time. So sometimes when it feels like we've not got the answer now, it's a case of trusting God. God will choose to act at the very right time. So Pentecost has come 50 days after Jesus' death. So 40 days, the disciples had them. They've then got this 10 days of waiting. During that time, they elect a new disciple. They meet together. They pray in one accord. So they've kind of been doing church. They've been doing that togetherness. They've been praying. And then the Holy Spirit, remember the Holy Spirit has been active. The Holy Spirit would have been there when Jesus called them and they responded. The Holy Spirit was there in the commands. All this is, is the Holy Spirit acting in a different way. The Holy Spirit is not arriving for the first time in Acts 2. So there's a sound, there's the appearance of fire, they were filled and they began to speak. The idea of speaking is really important. The Holy Spirit acts in our lives so we can speak the good news. Again, those fruits of the Spirit should be accompanied by words. It's fantastic when we're gentle, when we're peaceful, when we're patient. That tells people an there's something different about us. But without the words to accompany that, they might just think, oh, you're a very nice guy. They might just think that, oh, that's good for you. Or maybe you're horrible to your wife when you get home and I only ever see you being all peaceful and lovely at work. The words that we speak are really important. The Holy Spirit is there to help us to do that. Being filled, being baptised. I think we've talked about this word baptised before. Baptised means to be dyed. So if you ever try to dye something, it's when you take that piece of material and you submerge it. Being baptised is like being dyed. You are so full of it, it changes the colour in your appearance. Being filled, being filled up from the inside. The Holy Spirit is talked about being on and resting. The Holy Spirit can act in so many ways according to the authority given to them by God. The Holy Spirit spirit will baptize us why do we have to keep talking about this is because sometimes we forget sometimes we need that special reminder that god is in us that is with us perhaps we're facing a challenge where we want to be strengthened so the disciples i think wanted to be strengthened they could have been quite scared quite scared so the romans have killed the messiah we know who he is they killed him what are they going to do to us so they probably weren't popular with the jews the jews still didn't understand who jesus was and why he'd come they needed power through the holy spirit for what comes next so a question to ask ourselves is where are we in terms of waiting are we waiting for something Are you like a disciple waiting for God to come to equip you? Maybe you know what that challenge is. Maybe you don't. Maybe we've got questions about what it's like when the Holy Spirit comes. What does it feel like to be baptised? And I I can't answer that question definitively for you because every time it happens in in Acts, it happens differently. 
there were four Pentecosts. So four occasions when the Holy Spirit came in a new way. There we go. Okay, so four ways that the Holy Spirit came. And you're going to look at all of Acts, so you'll spot these. Why do we kind of get four of these experiences of the Holy Spirit? I think it's to remind us that it's for everyone. So each time it talks about the Holy Spirit filling people or being baptised or people praying and the Holy Spirit turning up, it's to remind us that for all the different groups of people. At that time, you were either a Jew or a Gentile. You might have been a Samaritan. So a Samaritan was halfway there. So the Samaritans were semi-related to the Jews, but not completely. So there was a third group, the Samaritans. If you were a Gentile, and we won't argue about this either, but Cornelius was a Gentile, but he was a God-fearing Gentile. That meant he was quite devout. So he had some understanding of who God was. There was the eunuch. There was a eunuch from Ethiopia who travelled to Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem to find out about God. But each of these occasions, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19, are times you can read about the Holy Spirit coming in a different way. Sometimes people have been baptised with water, and then they get baptised with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it happens at the same time. Sometimes they've only heard part of the Gospel. But each of those four occasions is the Holy Spirit coming to give them power. And every time it happens, it happens differently. It doesn't always happen with flames of fire or a rushing wind. But it comes. The Holy Spirit comes at the time that God chooses in the way that God the Holy Spirit chooses to come. So I remember being younger, and um, and I guess it was the 90s, so something called the Toronto Blessing that you can read about online, but this was a a hotel near an airport in Toronto, and the expectation was was that that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. You might fall over slain in the spirit. So you might weep. You might speak in tongues. And what was always difficult was there was an expectation this is what it should look like. But the Bible tells me something different. This is the Bible explaining the Bible. Every time the Holy Spirit acts, it seems to do something different. In Acts, over 30 years, there's no real pattern. The only pattern is the Holy Spirit turns up, usually in response to prayer, to give people the strength to go. It comes for a reason. It comes to help people spread the gospel. It comes for some of these people to reassure them that they are part of God's plan. If you're a Gentile or a Samaritan, you might have thought, oh, well, that Holy Spirit stuff, that's only for the special Christians. That's only for the Jewish Christians, the ones that were part of those 12 tribes. But the Holy Spirit coming is to remind all of us that we are all part of the gospel. And I think often, in my experience, that's when the Holy Spirit does come. It's to give you that certainty. For some of us, it's the eyewitnesses. It's the power of a scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit. Others, and other times, it's that sense of peace. It's the Holy Spirit saying, you are part of God's family. That's often why it's a spirit of peace, of restfulness, of assurance. Sometimes it could be something quite scary, quite terrifying. I'd be quite scared if there was a rushing of wind through here, if I was seeing tongues of fire appear on your heads. But that's still the Holy Spirit. If you think how varied you are in your behaviour and your decisions and your relations to different people, the Holy Spirit's a person. The Holy Spirit knows you because it's part of God and chooses how to care for you, how to strengthen you in just the right way. So Acts, as you go through that, look out for maybe these four occasions when the Holy Spirit baptises people. And just remember how different it is, but it is still God acting to strengthen people. The Holy Spirit is a gift. It's a gift, something that God gives. You have to wait for gifts. 
So you're all probably very good at waiting to open your Christmas presents. You're good at waiting for your birthday gifts. As a gift, you have to wait for the Holy Spirit. But it's been present since the beginning. It's the means of revelation. It's life bringing. It's quickening. Quickening. If you've still got your King James Bible, you'll see that word in there. It means for like a seed to germinate. Something comes to life. You are new creations in Christ. Not because of anything you've done. Not because you turn up to church or because you really wanted to become a Christian. It's because the Holy Spirit turned your hearts. So the Holy Spirit is what brings new life. It's a promise that's been fulfilled. It's a help. It's a comfort. It's a seal. It's a promise. It's a deposit. It's something God's put inside of us until he returns and we become completely perfect and enjoy life with him. It's fruitful and it gives us power. Why? Why does the Holy Spirit come? It comes to bring God's truth to life in our lives and to complete the harvest of others. The Holy Spirit isn't there just so we feel like happier Christians. The Holy Spirit isn't just there so, I don't know, we're taken away in that moment of worship. The Holy Spirit is given to us for Monday morning. It's for that difficult conversation when you're tired after lunch on a Sunday. The Holy Spirit is there for you all of the time. And this is what we see in this first sermon. What happens next? Peter preaches. 3,000 people become Christians because of the Holy Spirit being given. It's always really important when you're reading the Bible to read what's just happened before and what happens next. It's always hard in a sermon when we pull out three or four verses. But the things that happen next help us explain why. Um, This is an artist depiction of Peter. You will see people in different styles of dress because it's Jerusalem. People have come for this feast of weeks. So 50 days after um, after Passover, they've come to celebrate. But instead, what do they get? They get these disciples talking in tongues. The tongues that are described as different languages, languages humans could understand. So all these people are hearing their, <coughs> um, hearing their home language spoken. There's a few responses that they have. So first of all, all of them were amazed. It's okay for your jaw to drop when you encounter and you meet with God. So it's okay if you're ever in a situation where you go, wow, I never expected that. And again, that might be a sense of peace you didn't expect to leave with this morning. It might be something else you learn through the worship. It might be hearing a testimony or a story. God in action is amazing. For those of you that work in Sim and we hear the stories from missionaries that come back, we still get amazed by what God does today. Some of them ask this very reasonable question, what does this mean? And it might be your response to this sermon is, what does this mean? What does this mean for me today? Some of them mocked. Some of them said they're just drunk. So it's 10 o'clock in the morning. They've obviously been drinking. So there's a whole range of responses. And don't be surprised when you start to, to, to live a life as a Christian, you will get a whole range of responses from people around you. So they'll be amazed. So some might make fun of you. So they maybe don't understand it. There can be unkind comments. Some may ask, what does this mean? That's normal. So this is the Holy Spirit. This is the first sermon. This is Peter. So, and he still had a range of responses to his words. So how did Peter explain it? And this is what I love about this again, that Peter explains it at the end of his life. When he writes 1 Peter and 2 Peter, which come just before John and just before Revelation. So right in the Bible, he talks about his experience of the Holy Spirit. But he also explains what's just happened. 
So it's the start of the last days. Everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And he talks in verse 33 about the Holy Spirit being for seeing and hearing. So there's lots of ways you can share the gospel. It is the things you show people. It is the way you treat them. It is the way you behave. It's the way that you operate with friends, with family, through charity work, through the way you act in business, through the way that you meet your deadlines. People can see it. It's also hearing. So the go part of our theme, go, 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 go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Be prepared to show people what that means and also to share the words with them. So the second part, Acts 2, is Peter's explanation of what happens. So I'll just read that for you. So I've kind of given you the summary first. These are the words of what happens. So now when people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said this to them, Repent which means turn away, and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And I love that section for so many reasons. I love it. It applies to me. I am a long way away from like 30 AD Jerusalem. So I am a long way off in terms of geography, in time, in society. But that tells me the gift of the Holy Spirit is for me. It tells me that I can receive the forgiveness of sins. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. So if anyone ever says, oh, Christianity is not for me, you can be encouraged. The Bible says something very different. The Holy Spirit is for everyone, for every part of our lives. And with many other words, you always love this as a preacher. Peter used many other words, so I could go on all day if I wanted, but I won't. So many other words. He bore witness and continued to exhort, to encourage them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptised, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Again, save yourselves from this crooked generation is quite odd. You can't do anything to save yourself apart from accept this gift. All we can do is say, God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for what he did on the cross and accept the gift of forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when he says, save yourself from this crooked generation, it's not difficult. All you have to do is say, God, thank you. Thank you for this gift that you've given me. And again, I I, I don't know you, but maybe today is a day that you need to remind yourself that you've accepted that gift. Maybe it could be the first time that you're accepting forgiveness for the sins that you've committed. All of those things we've done wrong. All those times we were selfish, we were proud, we did things that weren't the best for us. So do we need to say thank you? Um, Thank you to Jesus for what he did. Accept that. Do we need to be saved? You know for the people around you how crooked that generation is as well. Things haven't got any better. What a perfect description of kind of any period through time. Things aren't straightforward. They're not the way they should be. The news doesn't report things the way it should be. People don't behave the way they should do. You see that all through society. So the end times is still very much something that we're within. So how does Peter sum this up? So this is the last part of the sermon. I don't know. Um, Brian, do you want to pop out? There'll be two songs and then the young people can come in. Is that all right if you let the young people know? So yeah, so I'm on my last point and there'll be two songs and then communion. Um, so Peter says this. 
his. So this is God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So this power of God gives us everything you need for life and godliness. If you find being a Christian hard, you've been given everything you need that pertains, that relates to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So that sounds like a very long sentence, but the point here is divine nature. How is your divine nature doing today? You probably looked after your physical nature. Um, you got up, you washed, okay, you brushed your teeth, you've looked after your physical nature. But how is your divine nature? And it says that we've been granted precious and very great promises so that through the promises we may take part in a divine nature. You're a spiritual person. You're a spiritual being. And it can be hard to to see those things, to experience those things, but that's where the Holy Spirit operates. Peter says in his letter that God's divine power has been given to us to all things that pertain to life and godliness. So we've got everything that we need for life and godliness. God doesn't leave you um, looking around for the right things. He will give you the words you need when you need them to speak to people. So he will give you the spiritual strength you need to act in a different way. You can ask him today to give you more peace, to give you more hope, to give you more strength. You don't need to be left alone. This gift of the Holy Spirit, sadly, sometimes sits there unopened. Unopened. The fact that God promises it, we see it come. We just have to receive it. So as we do communion after a, after a couple of songs, we're going to be thinking about that. It's great to take part in remembering what Jesus did. But there's also the part of experiencing, of receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit. So, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that isn't just saved once, it's saved every day. So even as Christians we know we have a hope to be in heaven We also need saving every day. I need saving still from selfishness, from pride. I need to experience the Holy Spirit each day. So, this is the verse that we'll bring up again for communion a little bit later. This is Peter talking again. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So I'm just going to pray, and I think we'll have one or two songs, and then it'll be communion. Dear God, it's incredible for us who are so far away to see this through the eyes of people who are there. But first, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you we don't just have to rely on our minds um, and our, our human understanding to see you for who you are. We thank you that you've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, if this is our first time or our hundredth time of responding to you, we just ask that we'll be open to your spirit. Help us to see these things afresh. Please give us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. We can't do this on our own. We've tried and we've failed. We just ask for your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit so that we can understand again what it means to be part of your family. Please give us these, um, your Holy Spirit for fruitfulness and for power. Give us the fruit we need to show people who you are and to build your kingdom. 
Also, will you give us the power of your Holy Spirit to give us the words we need to talk to people? Um, It can be so difficult sometimes when they will let us off the hook. We know that they'll be amazed. We know that they'll be mocking. We know there'll be people that will ask us, well, what does this mean? We just ask that we will be able to use your Holy Spirit to reach those people. So please help us in the go of Acts. We want to go, we want to act for your kingdom, to build it for your glory and the power of your spirit. Amen.